Welcome to the new Docs in a Pod presented by WellMed. Over the next half hour, Docs in a Pod will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Tamika Perry and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. And now, here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Tamika Perry. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the award-winning Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron. Delighted to have with us Desiree Murray. Desiree is a nurse practitioner. She often fills in as one of our guest co-hosts, and today she is the guest. Uh, Desiree is a nurse practitioner. You find her at WellMed Town Center in Mansfield, Texas. Earned her bachelor's in nursing from Abilene Christian University, her master's in nursing from the University of Texas at Arlington. Desiree graduated from nursing school on the dean's list, and as a family nurse practitioner, she cares for patients for their entire lives, from newborns to 99-year-olds and older. She has experience in urgent care, and by the time Desiree was in the ninth grade, she knew she wanted to help others. Desiree also, by the way, uh, among her list of accomplishments, she was named Miss Southlake 2015 and was a contestant in Miss America and the Miss Texas pageants. Desiree, we are delighted to have you with us. And, uh, you know, it is amazing to me as a nurse practitioner how much you see and, and how close you become with your patients. Oh, absolutely, Ron. Um, we end up having very close relationships. Um, they feel comfortable being able to talk and share their personal thoughts and lifestyle. Um, and that, that just helps me be able to treat them better when I know the details of what's going on. I do think my previous nursing experience uh, contributes to my ability to have good, healthy relationships with patients now. What led you into nursing? You know, I'll never forget my parents gave me a Fisher-Price doctor's kit when I was four. It had a stethoscope, uh, a syringe, a blood pressure cuff in there. <laughs> and I just practiced on all of my stuffed animals and my Barbies. <laughs> And from then on, it, it, it just flourished into, you know what, I want to help people. Um, I want to do it at a high level. And uh, by the time I graduated high school, I had my uh, certified nursing assistance license. So um, I just, it was very early, Ron, very early. And from there, just going to college. And then after I graduated, I was encouraged to get my master's in nursing to become a nurse practitioner by other physicians and um, providers in the field. Where did you grow up? I actually grew up in Arlington, Texas. So not far from Dallas? Not far from Dallas at all. Born and raised, Cowboys fan. You know, <laughs> how about them boys? <laughs> And it's interesting to me, I mentioned that you had competed in uh, the Miss Texas and Miss America pageants. Uh, folks who can't see you, you know, I see you on Zoom, our listeners don't see you. Obviously, you're incredibly attractive. I heard you sing uh, a little bit for us off the air, uh, and you've got all of that talent. Uh, what were you hoping to get out of those pageants? You know, I think that the pageant helped me with my ability to speak publicly, which is important when you're trying to educate the community. You want to feel confident uh, speaking to various different types of people. Uh, thank you for the compliment on my beauty. That's always a welcoming thing in the room. <laughs> well, you really but, should thank um, your parents because it's genetic, right? 
<laughs> yes, that award does go to them. But uh, my platform during the pageant was uh, love being healthy with prevention of childhood obesity. I noticed that how a child is raised and the habits that they develop early on impacts greatly their adult life and their health at that time. So, you know, knowing that children of the future, I really wanted to hone in on how to help them be the best version of themselves and educate the parents so that they become healthy uh, adults that live, you know, very long, uh, happy lives. And I know that uh, uh, because I've done this show for so many years and I learn a little bit about everything in the universe, one of the things I have learned is that obesity in a child leads to all kinds of medical issues as an adult. Oh, absolutely. And when I did my pediatric rotation, I was fortunate enough to be in a pediatric facility with a pediatrician and other uh, NPs and PAs that specialized in pediatrics. So I saw these children developing juvenile diabetes. Um, I saw the issues with their vitamin D levels, which would affect their energy levels. Um, with the young girls, their menses and things would be affected. Um, which overall affects their mood, their ability to have enough energy to stay awake and alert in school, their attentiveness, and just moving past that early stage in life, you know, it just transitions into adulthood. And, and it can be a very negative um, outcome after the fact. So being immersed in that on the front end and seeing that in real time was very eye-opening for me. Um, so many different changes that were not positive in those children. It's just amazing. Stay with me just a minute. I want to let folks know who may have just joined us. You're listening to the award-winning Docs in a Pod. We are available over the air on a number of radio stations across Texas and Florida and elsewhere. And our podcasts are available wherever you get your podcasts. Desiree Murray is our guest today. Uh, she is a nurse practitioner and has a lot of experience dealing with exactly the topic I want to get into, and that's diabetes. And you mentioned, Desiree, uh, we are seeing type 2 diabetes in younger and younger people, and one of the correlations is obesity. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, talk to us about the differences between type 1 juvenile diabetes and type 2 diabetes. So type 1 diabetes is going to be a form of diabetes that you are essentially born with. Uh, it manifests very early in life, in childhood. And that means that the pancreas, which is the organ that releases insulin and breaks down uh, blood sugar in the body, is not functioning properly at the highest level that it can. So then there's an, a, an increase in uh, circulating blood sugar in the body. Um, that is something that uh, we have to give medications for automatically. The, the patient is not able to live without medications to modify that situation. Type 2 diabetes develops after the fact. Um, normally, or in times past, it was in adult life. You know, you lived a life of obesity, not exercising, not taking care of yourself. And at some point in your adult life, you develop diabetes. Well, the transition has been now that children are developing type 2 diabetes that historically came later in life. And it's that's very sad. It is. It really is. And there's a, a lot of different factors there. If there is a family history of obesity, 
and the lifestyle with parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles just involves a lot of obesity, unhealthy eating habits, lack of exercise. That's what the children are privy to. That's they emulate what they see. And so you've got a 15 year old kid that doesn't have any involvement in sports. The parents are not encouraging them to play sports or taking them outside to play. Electronics don't help that situation. They're spending a lot of time in front of the screen on video games and things and not playing. And then, and then they just continue to gain weight. Um, I know as a parent, it can be difficult to wanna cook all the time and make healthy meals. The price of food has changed. But uh, the easy way a lot of times is fast food. And then that just contributes to the situation more. Um, eating a lot of fried foods um, just because it's quick and easy to access. Um, so we do have to work and take that extra step to try and provide healthy meals for the kids. It's interesting in our household, we never fried food, but there is something about the taste of fried food. And we bought an air fryer, maybe about nine months to a year ago. And it is a marvelous, marvelous piece of kitchen equipment. Oh, absolutely. I think that the air fryer has been a huge life-saving game changer for a lot of people because you still get that that flavor and that taste that you want, but not all of those uh, oily fats in there that are bad for you <laughs> from frying in the grease and stuff. Um, I grew up with a George Foreman grill. I don't know if they even make those anymore. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. It was always amazing to me to see in the little tray at the bottom how much grease and fat or whatever you <laughs> would call it in the tray. And I'm like, right. oh my gosh, if I didn't have this, would that really be, be eating in my body? <laughs> wow. Yes. That's just amazing. So talk a little bit about uh, the kind of symptoms uh, that someone would feel, which might uh, lead to a suspicion that they have type 2 diabetes. So a big one is an unknown reason for excessive uh, tiredness or fatigue. Um, uh, the person will just feel tired a lot. Um, they Even if they have a good rest at night, they still wake up. The energy is just not there. Um, and then some other big telltale signs are going to be increased thirst that's just unquenchable. You're drinking water, you're drinking Gatorade or whatever it is that you like to drink, and you just still feel extremely thirsty. Um, another big one that patients tell me is uh, lots and lots of urination. They're going to the bathroom constantly um, in the middle of the night during the day. And they're like, you know, my urine doesn't seem to be infected, but I'm just peeing a lot, Desiree. And that's another big one. Um, those are some of the big ones that I notice the most. Um, there are some others that, you know, we're just, I'm just going to leave it at those. If you're feeling those symptoms, you definitely need to talk with your doctor um, immediately to get checked out. And if you don't get checked out, if you ignore the symptoms, uh, the end result of having type 2 diabetes uh, can be literally deadly. Oh my gosh, yes. Life threatening to the point of death. You know, ICU immediately. You go into the hospital and you have those symptoms and they find out you're diabetic. At that point, your blood sugar is probably well over four or 500. And it should be 
way less than that. We're talking less than a hundred. It should be between 70 and a hundred. And by the time this uh, new diagnosed patient gets to the hospital, the blood sugar is well, triple, quadruple that. And they're immediately in ICU, sometimes confused. Sometimes they've already passed out. Um, that's what we would call more of a diabetic coma. And in the ICU, they're put on an insulin drip because they need insulin immediately. That There's no oral medicine at that point. It's straight insulin in the IV to bring that sugar down immediately because high blood sugar for prolonged periods of time shuts down the organs. The organs cannot function in such a high sugar state. So the body starts to shut down. And sometimes it's too late, Ron. It's just too late. And we can't save that person depending on the severity of the sugar. I have seen patients in the hospital as a nurse before I became an NP in the 600s. And blood sugar that's in the 600s. Blood sugar in the 600s. And I'm you know, wondering, how does this person survive? So medicine has evolved to be able to come in and fix that. But um, sometimes it's too late. So it's very important to go and uh, follow up with your doctor on a routine basis, you know, to make sure you don't have diabetes that we're not treating. Hold that thought. We're going to come right back to you. Desiree Murray is with us today, a nurse practitioner who is uh, talking about diagnosis, treatment of diabetes, type 2 diabetes. We talked about type 1 diabetes, and we'll continue the conversation in just a moment. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Docs in a Pod. Hi, it's Drew Pearson for my friends at WellMed. As a Hall of Famer, I love it when a quarterback and receiver have a great connection. You can be part of a great connection too. Connecting WellMed's high-quality health care with the highest-rated Medicare Advantage plan helps you focus on staying healthy. Call 210-436-6005 or visit wellmedhealthcare.com slash connect. Drew Pearson is a paid spokesperson. Other plans are accepted. For full enrollment details, visit medicare.gov. We are so pleased you were with us today on the award-winning Docs in a Pod. We come to you over the air in a number of radio stations across Texas and Florida. We're also available on podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, just look for Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our guest today and our co-host as well, Desiree Murray is a nurse practitioner. You find her at the WellMed Town Center in Mansfield, Texas. We're delighted to have her with us. Desiree is talking about type 2 diabetes. We talked about type 1 diabetes. We went to death. And before you get there with type 2 diabetes, there's some awful stuff that can happen to you, Desiree. Oh, absolutely. So one of the big ones uh, that I think comes to mind for some people is you know, am I going to lose a foot? Am I going to lose a leg? Do I have to get some type of limb amputated? And yes, sometimes that happens. And how that happens is when the body is in a, I call it a sugary state, like you're super sweet. Huh. <laughs> that <laughs> bacteria thrives in that environment. That is the food and the fuel for bad bacteria to grow. So what happens is these particular patients will develop a sore on the bottom of their foot, for example. And the bacteria will get in there and, and they it doesn't don't heal. heal it. It doesn't heal. And the patient may or may not feel it there. 
One, because they are not checking the bottom of their feet because it's all the way at the bottom. <laughs> or two, because they have severe nerve damage from the diabetes. So they literally have no sensation at the bottom of their foot. So this sore is just continuing to grow and then it travels up their leg. And it gets to a point where sometimes the leg has to be removed because it becomes so infectious and the tissue dies. Um, if we don't remove it, the patient themselves could die. Um, so that that's a big one, Ron. And I, I do have some uh, history with this, unfortunately, and some patients that have had to lose both legs. So I always educate and we are trained to educate, hey, if you have diabetes, whether you have nerve damage or not, always check the bottom of your feet. If you have an infection, continue to follow up with your doctor or wound care to make sure that it's being resolved because it could lead to amputation. I have a friend uh, who lives uh, in San Antonio, works in broadcasting, who uh, has and knew he had type 2 diabetes and went through a time where he figured, you know, I'm eating okay. I don't have a problem. I don't have to go to the doctor. Things are great. I don't need to be on insulin or any other medication. And sure enough, he cut a bottom of his foot in a swimming pool, didn't know that an infection developed, and he ended up losing a leg uh, from, the, uh, from the knee down. Uh, but it's even worse than that. Uh, he now has lost sight in one eye and is uh, at risk of losing sight in another eye, all because he left diabetes untreated. Oh, no, that is so terrible. And unfortunately, that is uh, a lot more common of a story um, than I'd like to say. Uh, we also recommend that patients get their eyes checked routinely um, once a year at a minimum because diabetes can destroy uh, vision. Um, it's It can destroy a lot of things. Uh, it it can lead to amputation. It can destroy the vision. It can infect, affect the skin in a negative way. So uh, patients will end up what we call dermatitis or uh, just inflammation of the skin. The skin is an organ too. Um, it can. It's the largest the organ we have, actually. It it actually is, and it's our main defense, our first line of defense. It's on the outside of our body. It protects us from infection. Just coming into the inside of our body. And so we want to make sure that it's healthy. And I do have experience with patients that don't want to believe their diagnosis of diabetes or don't want to take the medicine. And it's almost like if they start it and then they stop it, the diabetes comes back tenfold. So it's important if you're, you're starting medicine and even if it's controlled, unless your doctor says you can come off of it, with the proper monitoring, please don't stop your medication on your own. You know, there's so many reasons why it's important to take it in protecting so many of the vital organs. And I wonder, you know, if your friend uh, had that experience, you know, because once the body is used to the medication helping the insulin production and you take that away, the body is, is not able to process and, and do what it needs to do. The pancreas isn't better. <laughs> You're helping it. And so um, I do want to make sure patients understand that. That's a very have important we, uh, point. Have we gotten to the point where we can do pancreatic transplants? We have. Because we do liver. It's... We talked about that on a recent uh, docs in a pod. We talk about livers and liver transplant. What about the pancreas? 
Yes, there is such thing as a pancreas transplant, very extensive process. I do not specialize in that, Ron, <laughs> but I have had a patient with a pancreas transplant. It was life-saving. She still had to be on uh, medications for diabetes, but um, prior to the transplant, the pancreas was not functioning at all, really. And so it was a life-changing um, decision that had to be made there. Wow. But that that is something that happens, um, and it can help. But we don't want that. <laughs> no. We can avoid it. Now, we haven't talked about an, an important test that your uh, PCP and you as a nurse practitioner will do at least once a year on your patients, and that's looking for something called A1C. Yes. So it's so funny when I did my uh, NP, well, actually it was in nursing school. When I was still getting my undergrad, I had to do some volunteer work and I chose to do some volunteer work at a, uh, it was like a, a homeless treatment center. So they offered free services to the homeless. And the doctor there was like, this is how you remember A1C, A1C, one, two, three. A1C. <laughs> I will never forget that. And what that means is the A1C is a three-month overview and average of how well your blood sugar is controlled. And um, based on that number, that helps your provider diagnose you with prediabetes or diabetes. So an A1C of 6.5 or greater is going to be a diagnosis of diabetes. Uh, less than 6.5, between 5.7 and 6.4 is pre-diabetes. So if you uh, routinely go to your doctor and they are checking your blood, this is a blood test, um, they will look at your A1C if your actual blood sugar is elevated. And um, sometimes uh, if it's a little bit over 6.5, we'll repeat it again in three months and encourage you to modify your diet without initiating medication right away. Um, and then if it's really high, like definitely at a nine or a 10, we've got to get some medicine going. Um, we, we just need to make sure that the A1C is staying less than seven. That is deemed to have controlled diabetes if you're less than seven on your A1C. I want to tell you a an actual story involving me, uh, my PCP. This is several years ago. Uh, I, I went in for my regular checkup and I walked in and we're in the exam room and he walked in carrying a box, uh, which was a glucose meter, which he set on the exam table, didn't say anything. And we're talking <laughs> and I'm looking at that meter and we're talking about, you know, what the blood test showed and what's going on. And finally he got to the, uh, end of the discussion. And he said, you know what that is? Pointing to the meter. I said, yeah, yeah, I, I don't have one. I don't need one because I don't have diabetes, <laughs> but it's a glucose meter. And he said, you are going to need one if you don't do something to lower your A1C. Man, did Absolutely. he drive that message home right to my little feeble brain. <laughs> and, and he said, at the time, I was a, a metaholic. If it was uh, red yeah. and came from a cow, I ate it. <laughs> if it was, you know, pink and came from whatever, I ate it. A and he said, you've got to do something about this. And he said, it's up to you. You control this. Nothing I can do. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. Uh, 
man, did that drive that message home. I lost weight. I uh, began over a period of time to eat differently. It's not easy to do, especially no, when you grew not. up a metasaurus, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I did not make a changes. <laughs> oh, I was a metasaurus, believe me. And, and so uh, I, I thought that was a great way to get that message through to me. Absolutely. I, I think that was a very creative approach, but also direct because sometimes you have to see right in front of you why you need to make the changes. And sometimes the parent, patients will tell me, you know, I really like how you take time and explain things to me in a way that I can understand. But, you know, futuristically, Ron, I make walk in with a box to know that that was life changing <laughs> for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just carry that, that box. That's really something. We, we got about 30 seconds left, Desiree. Uh, bottom line, if you think you have an issue, whether it's diabetes or some other issue, talk to your nurse practitioner or your PCP, right? Absolutely. Don't delay. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for talking about what is an incredibly important topic, uh, the 411 on uh, juvenile and uh, type 1 diabetes Thank you so much. Desiree Murray, you find her at the WellMed Clinic in the Town Center in Mansfield, Texas, and delighted to have you with us. Thank you all for joining us today on the award-winning Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron. For Desiree Murray, we'll talk with you again soon. Thanks, everybody. Executive producers for Docs in a Pod are Dan Calderon and Leah Madrano. Our producer is Natalie Ibarra. And associate producer is Isaac Wilker. Thank you for listening to Docs in a Pod, presented by WellMed. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And be sure and tune in next week for another edition of Docs in a Pod with Dr. Tamika Perry and Ron Aaron.